Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. Today, I'm talking with Rick Webster of Renify, a psychology-based 12-week personal finance program. Renify provides ADHD-friendly ideas, articles, and materials to help manage your finances. In our conversation today, though, Rick and I cover a lot of ground outside of finances as well. Of course, we do talk about some ADHD financials as well, including that dreaded ADHD tax. I had a lot of fun during this interview, and I hope you enjoy it too. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com slash renafi. All right, keep on listening to find out how ADHD can affect your money matters. So yeah, how about uh, we start with you uh, telling me a little bit about yourself and your story that you were just uh, briefly mentioning there. It's a long story, actually, <laughs> getting longer every day. Um, but yeah, I've, my history, I was diagnosed when I was about 46. Uh, you know, I'd had these swings like a lot of us do, kind of a roller coaster ride in terms of my financial life and, and other things. And got diagnosed around 46. My life has been a much smoother trajectory since then. It's still bumpy, right? It's, it's challenging, but at least now, you know, I, I consider my diagnosis kind of a gift of self-awareness, right? It's not a prize to be coveted and it's not a death sentence or anything like that, but it showed me a path to look for in my life. And so, you know, Hey, maybe this or maybe this is an explanation for this inexplicable life you've been living. You know, why, why are we doing all those things? Well, now here's maybe some reasons that open that up. And when I began to understand some of those reasons, that begins to inform, you know, what we should do about it, right? Do I want to take medication? Do I want to do behavior modification? Do I want to make my living environment more ADHD friendly? So that's what's been happening to me in the last, you know, 25 years or so. Yeah. And I totally agree with that point. It's like having that explanation lets you then apply solutions that might actually work. Ah, yes. Because yes. so often with ADHD, instead of having, we're like, oh, you know, people are like, oh, I don't want the label of ADHD, but you're going to have some label, you know, and it's usually a much worse label, like you're lazy or, you know, you just don't want to do things. And it's like, those are much harder problems to solve than I have ADHD. I have, you know, problems with my executive function and I can do something about that. Absolutely. And the insidious problem with these pejorative labels like laziness, and irresponsibility is that they're told to us. 10,000 times by the time we're in sixth grade and we've internalized them. It's no longer the problem that someone else thinks we're lazy. It's that we think we're lazy and that becomes an identity and you can't escape your identity unless you change your identity. If you wake up every morning thinking I'm a lazy person, I'm going to, I'm not going to get my stuff done. But if I wake up every morning thinking, oh, I'm not a lazy person. I'm a person who gets things done. Then you're far more likely to get things done. We, yeah. we can't escape our identity. We can change it, but we can't escape it. Yeah. And even with that, with most of the people I see with ADHD are some of the hardest working people I do because they have to work twice as hard to get some of the you know same results. Yep. And yet they still go, I'm lazy. Yep. No, ab absolutely. And that's, I would actually say the majority of people I know, and, and I know a lot now, I'll explain that in a minute. Um, people with ADHD are the opposite of lazy, right? 
they might be ineffective and they might be in this kind of frenetic vibration and doing a lot of stuff and not getting anything done. But they're not lazy. That that does not apply. Um, so, and and so before we go too far, you know, the reason I've I've met so many people is I've I've been on the Chad. Chad's a nonprofit for people with ADHD. I've been on their national board for a while. You know, a lot of us with ADHD we volunteer for things too quickly. So I, I had to I had to take a few things off my plate. I took that off. But I'm their Northern California chapter coordinator, and I'm on the you know whatever the chapter advisory board, things like that. So I, I facilitate um, support clinics. I, I like to call them success clinics. Um, so over the course of the last 25 years or so, I've met thousands of people with ADHD and I've kind of made it a life mis- mission to understand it more. First, because of myself, right? I, I almost went back to graduate school to study this stuff. And I said, well, that's 70,000 in 10, 000, and 10 years. I'm not doing that. <laughs> but, so I renewed my library card basically because I, I saw a connection between ADHD and trauma very early on. And so I delved into that got the information I wanted um, and moved on through that. And then since then, I've been working with just lots of people with ADHD. More recently, I've been maybe the last four or five years, been working with ADA, another really good nonprofit in the, in the ADHD community. Um, I lead their money matters discussion group and and do some other things with them. Um, To anybody in your audience, if you have ADHD and you don't belong to one or both of those organizations, they're 50 bucks a year. It's a rounding error. And, and yet they have so much stuff to offer. Right. So. And uh, I'll, you want to just check the show notes. I'll have links for both of those there. So yeah, uh, be really easy to find, find those things. And yeah, they're great organizations and really provide a lot of resources for those of us with ADHD. They really, they really do. And, and just a really brief little, it's not supposed to be about them, but Chad is largely about advocacy, which is why they're in Maryland, right outside of D.C. They, they advocate and, and it, it's really a powerful organization and they do good things. Um, so that would be a good reason to join them. And they have information and all that personally. ADA is more one person at a time. They, they have support clinics. They have like 25 or 30 of them. They're all on Zoom. Um, you can attend them from anywhere in the world. Once you've joined, they're all available to you. Like I said, I do the Money Matters one. Um, so they're more of an individually, you know, person to person kind of thing. So if you're looking for something that's more personal and more directly applicable to your life, Adam might be the one. Um, if you want to support advocacy, you know, and, and that in the legal area, then Chad's certainly good. They're both great. Awesome. Yeah. And so uh, you were mentioned a bit there about uh, financials and that's kind of where you're at now, right? Yes, I started a company. Um, it's, it's part of my evolution, but I, I started a company called Renify, and we're a subscription-based service. And we, what what I've recognized, my entire career, I've been in finance somewhere: real estate, real estate development, um, um, lending, portfolio lending. You know, you name it, all that stuff. So, um, the what I've recognized is that the problems people have with money are not about budgeting, right? Everybody, every trainer out there, practically, they're also, you know, you need a budget, which you do. And, you know, just do this, just do that. It's a lot like telling someone who's 60 pounds overweight, well, okay, eat less, exercise more, go away. It'll be fine, right? You you go away, do those two things, everything will be fine. Well, if that, they already knew that. They're not stupid. But what they don't understand is why they got an argument at work and then came home and ate the entire chocolate cake in the refrigerator. They don't understand why that happened. Right. It's the same thing with money. When we're stressed, we go out and we buy something. You know, we buy a $700 kayak, which we didn't even know we wanted in the morning. And now we've got it. 
but because mm-hmm. it felt good somehow, a little retail therapy, almost like a narcotic shot in the arm. It felt good, but it compromised our future, right? So, so that's what I recognized that the people, the problems people were having with money were not about the mechanics in 99% of the cases. We all can do fourth grade math. That's what, that's what budgeting is about for family. It was more about those other underlying drivers of our behavior, the emotional aspects of it. Why, why are we doing, what are the precursors to this quote unquote mistake that you made, right? Maybe mm-hmm. buying that kayak, buying the kayak might've been a good thing, right? If you wanted it, but if you just bought it impulsively, chances are it wasn't a good thing, but what led up to it? What were the precursors to that? Yeah. We all follow these invisible scripts that yeah. really drive what we're doing. And exactly. It, everything is so much more complicated than we want to make it out to be. We're like, oh, just do this. And it's like, if we don't know what's the driving factors behind that, we're, we're fighting the wrong battles. That, that's exactly right. So just real briefly, and then I'll get off the topic. We are at Renify. We're, I think we're at 70 bucks for six months right now. So it's something like $12 a month or something. We bring in coaches and community experts, and we have body double sessions and accountability groups and I teach the entrepreneurs with ADHD class. And I also teach the personal finance class. And we bring in coaches that teach other ones. Um, lately, we've just started something called Conversations with Melissa. Um, if any of you were with Ada, you know Melissa Reskoff. Uh, and we've, we didn't coach her, promise, but, but she works with us. And you know she brings in e- experts and influences in this and interviews them. It's fascinating. Um, so anyway... Hopefully somebody will join us, but that's really not the purpose of my talk here today, but I believe in it. That's why I started it. That's, that's why we're doing it. Yeah. Well, I think we can uh, jump into some of the more of those financial issues that I know so many people with ADHD have. It's a very prevalent thing that a lot of people struggle with. And, you know, we have the, this idea of the ADHD tax that I struggle so much with like yeah. returning things that I've bought. And I'm less like, sometimes I'm like, I just, I'm going to write this one off because it's not, not worth spending my executive function on, you know, the 10 bucks to return this. Exactly. And and some of that could actually be a good rational decision, right? Because sometimes it isn't worth it. But the the fact is the ADHD tax is, it's a real thing, right? It's absolutely real. People with ADHD unremediated, start off by earning only 75% of what their similarly talented counterparts are. You take two people, one with and one without, the one with will be earning wow. 75 cents on the dollar. So you start off with that. And then after that, there's all the other things which we're a little more familiar with, which would be the, the late fees and the penalties and all that. And, and a lot of us have our own horror stories. And mine, decades, like 40 years ago or more, um, I had $800 worth of speeding tickets. It was three tickets and I didn't do anything about it. I, I could have, but I didn't. So they get madder and madder and they keep adding penalties and, and years go by. And finally, you know, they're, they're sending me hate mail that says, you know, if you don't show up, we're going to come and get you. Right. And that's what they'll do after five or six or seven years of that. So anyway, I went in and by this time, the $800 had turned into something between 11 and $12,000. Right. And so I, I went in and I waited my turn to get to the judge. I stood up there for no more than three or four minutes. He says, yep, who are you? Is this what you owe? I confirmed everything. And he says, okay, well, can you pay that today? And I said, no. And he said, well, can you pay a hundred bucks a month? I said, well, yeah, I can do that. 
he told me to go see the clerk and he you know, stamps his paperwork. And the next thing you know, I'm out of there without any of the stress I had before over worrying about it. And I had a hundred dollar a month thing. Obviously, if I had taken care of it before, I could have been done in eight months, right? It took me a lot longer to pay it since it was over 11,000. Um, but that's an ADHD tax because a rational person who didn't, who, who prioritized what was going on in their life would not have done that. We, on the other hand, we have this now versus not now mentality, right? And if it's not now, it's pretty much irrelevant. And here I've got this letter. Yeah, I could deal with it now, but I got these other things I'm going to do now because they're even more pressing. So I put it aside. And the more often I put it aside, the easier it gets to put it aside. And of course, in this case, the noisier they get, just like the IRS, right? They send stronger and stronger mail to you until they finally start emptying your bank account because you forced them to do that. You don't need to get mad at the IRS for emptying your bank account, by the way. You forced them to do that, right? They, they, they will do that as a last resort. They don't want to. Um, so anyway, you're right. It, it's, we prioritize things that are right now, and we don't have a very good system for deciding which of the things yeah. that have to be right now are prioritized. So even though the 800 needed to be right now, maybe it was more important to me to, you know, go to yeah, soccer practice with one of my kids or something. It's with our time blindness, everything feels like it's a priority right then. And so actually creating that priority yes. list is incredibly difficult sometimes. Yes, it is. And and you mentioned something earlier and I don't want to kind of attention, but it's kind of not, this is metaphorical. It's, it's almost physically true, but it's really metaphorical. We have a certain number of slots mm -hmm. in our brain for open loop decisions, right? Decisions that have not been made. Am I going to turn left or right out of my driveway? That's an open loop. I haven't decided yet. We have a limited number of slots for those things, and we don't prioritize them very well. So the decision as to whether or not to go to the grocery store right now or later, that's an open loop. I haven't decided yet. Almost is has a parity with should I call the IRS and and make a deal with them and and you know say no I don't have the ten thousand you want from me but I can pay you one hundred and twenty five a month. Those are both open loop decisions loops and we have a limited number of slots and we really don't prioritize them. You can academically write it down and and get it, but our brain doesn't prioritize them. Every open loop is occupying a spot, which is why it's really important. Just knock out the little easy ones, right? Get them off your plate. They're, they're, they're more damaging than you think. Yeah. If you're deciding whether to go to the store today or tomorrow, just make a decision and, and get it off your plate. If you're wrong, it's not a big deal in that case. And you don't want it, yeah, your well, bandwidth to be used up on that. We often take on too many things. Like when I was like working on planning out May, I was like, here's the things I want to do in May. And I'm like, no, right now I, I know that feels like I could do all of that but I know I won't get all of those things. I need to do less. Yeah, absolutely. So David Allen talks about getting things out of our head in on the paper. Our brain, you know, sounds funny, but it's a horrible place to store information. Yeah. It's highly, it's unreliable, right? And if you're trying to store all those things, you're, you're using up your bandwidth and you don't have enough room left for the creative thought. So. He talks about getting them out of your head into a system that will reliably return the information when you need it, right? That could be a to-do list, which I'm kind of against to-do list, but, but that could be that. Or it could be something like your Google calendar and you say, hey, John's birthday is on May 2nd. I think I need to 
get a reminder two days before that. I type it into the computer. Mm -hmm. I don't have to think about it again, ever, right? Because it's in the cloud. I know it'll come back to me two days before his birthday. I'll find out. So we want to get as many things out of our head, down on the paper, so to speak, so that we don't have to think about it. But it has to return the information at the time we need it, which is why to-do lists are so bad, because they don't. They, to-do lists don't prioritize well. It's, it's like using a... It's like using a 1990s operating yeah. system, right? It, it, it does, they don't work very well. They're, they're damaging in some ways. But your point is well taken. We need to get things out of our head. It's the only way. It's the only way to have our bandwidth freed up. And it's the only way to make any complex plans. Yeah. Well, and to that point is making sure that that system you're using is reliable. Like, like with the to-do list, it's not prioritizing things right and things kind of just disappear up the list eventually right then you stop trusting the list because the important things can't go on the to-do list because you know they might disappear that's right and then eventually you're not using the system again because that's right why use something that's not going to work that's right at first you're you're keeping two systems right i got the system where i've written it down but i don't trust it so i'm going to remember it also so now you're using two systems they're using even more bandwidth and like you said, at some point you don't trust it. You you just quit using it, and then it becomes just another failure in an ADHD life. So that that's another thing we need to look out for too. We register failures higher than we register our successes, and it's very easy to set ourselves down the path of these kind of failures. And I think it also speaks to like the importance of setting up systems to use your tools properly, right? Because it's like I used a calendar for years and years and years, but didn't use it well. But then when I started really sharing my calendar with my wife, it was like, oh, I really need to keep this up to date because otherwise she's going to plan things over the other things I have. And this is yeah. not going to be a great system. And so then, you know, starting to do that, everything that I do has to go into the calendar became I'm using the system and keeping up that system is what makes it reliable. Yes. And we talk at Renify, we talk a lot about goals versus systems and there are a lot of things out there that make it sound like goals are the main thing right uh, the secret is one of those if i just think about it enough and dream about it enough it'll it'll come into fruition obviously i'm simplifying yeah. their concept but but the fact is that doesn't work right we have to have a goal yes we have to know where we're going we have to be able to visualize it we have to see it but what really gets us to that goal are the systems that we put in place like your calendar, right? The systems that we put in place are what get us to the goals. And we talk about the three stages of, of three phases of creation, so to speak. There's the vision, right? That's the goal. You have to visualize it. We have to know where we're going. We have to almost feel it and taste it. We have to, we have to be very clear on where we're going. Um, that doesn't mean inflexible because that's where we're going. We have to change that a little bit, but the vision. And then we need to create a blueprint for getting there. If, if you think of it metaphorically as a 10-story building, we want to be on the roof. That's our goal. That's our vision. And we're on the bottom. We're on the ground. And this thing has no elevator, has no stairs. We have to create a blueprint to create those stairs that we're going to climb. And then we have to go into the third phase, which is execution. And that means taking steps one, two, and three in the priority order that they're supposed to be in. Instead of saying, oh, this is boring. I'm going to work on, on the seventh floor for a little bit, right? It doesn't do you any good to work on the seventh floor if you're not going to get the first floor done. I've definitely done projects like that where I'm like, well, this is the interesting part. And then I'm like, but I never got to the part where I could use that stuff. Exactly. And, and there that's part of the system too. And it's part of the plan is to say, you know what, 
this first floor stuff, I'm horrible at it. I, I just realized I am, this is not a strong point for me. I'm really creative and I can make the widgets and I can do the things that people want, but I don't know how I'm going to get this business off the ground because I'm horrible at bookkeeping, for example. Well, that's a lesson. And we say, okay, do I really want to take the time to get good at bookkeeping? Or do I want to find a bookkeeper at a reasonable price that can do it for me so that I can go about doing what I should be doing? Somebody really early in my, my real estate career, he just stood up and stayed very, like almost first day practically. He said, if you're mowing your own lawn, you're losing money. And you know, most people think, well, I'm mowing my own lawn because I, I can't afford the gardener, right? Well, mm-hmm. no. If you're trained to make 100 bucks an hour and you can hire someone for $25 an hour, to do your books, for example, then you should be doing that because if you're doing the $25 an hour job, you're not doing the $100 an hour job that you were trained for. So we have to make those decisions. And and it's not always about money. If there's something where you are tripping over and over and over again, it's time to figure out another way. Delegate it, change the plan, you know, some way that you don't get tripped up by that. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's crazy to, as they say, to, to keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Yeah. I mean, and I think this plays into the uh, idea of that ADHD tax again, because we don't want to do the upfront work to figure out who we could hire to do something. Right. You know, I only a few months ago hired an editor for this podcast and it's yep. One of the best decisions I've made. It had also been something that I'd read so many other creators being like, hire an editor. It's the best thing you'll ever do. And even knowing that, it took me such a long time to actually get around to doing it. It's also hard. And we talk about this in the in the entrepreneurs class. There are self-employed people, and then there are business people. And they're not the same. They're polar opposites, actually. The business person does what they have to do until they can afford to hire someone who's better at it than they are, right? When I start a business, I do my own books until I can afford somebody to, to do them for me, which these days is really easy because you can anybody can afford Quicken and QuickBooks and stuff, right? So, so mm-hmm. there's that. The self-employed person, they're not more driven. The business person usually has a mission, but the self-employed is more personally involved, right? And they... They need to be the chief, the cook, and the bottle washer because they don't, they can't let go and trust someone else to do that. They they can do it better. And they might be right. You might be able to do your own editing better, for example, than hiring someone off of Upwork. But the fact is it's front-loaded. Once you get them trained, now they can do it as well as you can do it or better. And now you get to go do the things that you really got into this, you know, podcasting thing to do. Right. So it's hard to let go. For the sole proprietor, it's very hard to let go. Whereas the person with a business mindset wants to let go. And you, we have these built-in ideas of how things are supposed to be. Right. I've started buying a lot more pre-cut fruit because I, I actually eat the fruit then. It doesn't set, sit in my fridge and go bad. Right. It's cut up. I can just have it. And when I first started doing it, I'm like, I did not like it. It was like, this is a waste of money. I could, I should be buying the fruit. I should be cutting it up myself. Those are things I can do. But I wasn't doing that. Right. So it didn't matter that I should be able to do it. It mattered what reality was. And you know that reminds me of things when I was first diagnosed. First of all, I came across this idea that this is not my life. My life was a mess, right? This is not my life. <laughs> my life is over there. I know where I want to go. 
and I'm a common denominator. No one else is going to do it for me. I have to do this. I have to figure it out. So that idea that I'm going to do whatever it takes, whether it looks silly or stupid to someone else or not, I'm going to do it. Right. And buying cut up fruit probably costs you like 50% more. I, I have no idea, but it probably costs a little more. But if that's what works and that's what accomplishes the goal of having a healthier diet, which is worth a heck of a lot more than the extra $2 you paid for the fruit. Yeah. I think it's important because a lot of us with ADHD, we've we've grown up through grammar school with this facade of what we think will be accepted because we want to be a member of the tribe, right? We don't want to be marginalized because that's that's extinction, right? So we want to be a member of the tribe. So we pretend to be what we think they want to see, even though we're not like that, right? We have other things. And, and unfortunately, that really limits our creativity and, and gets us stuck later on. So this idea that Whatever it looks like, it doesn't matter what it looks like. If it's working for us, then we should be doing it. Yeah. Well, and along with really looking at what is my end goal here, right? Because how I get to that goal is less important than what I actually want. And, you know, being like, I want to have a healthier diet and being, well, then I have to cut up my own fruit. Mm -hmm. What? (laughs) That just doesn't, why, why would that be the case? It's actually one of the places where I think ADHD comes in as a strength. We can be extremely creative. Like you say, the goal is the important part, but the systems and the journey that gets us there obviously is is fundamental. Otherwise, we won't achieve that goal. But a lot of things can be accomplished in, in different ways. You don't have to do it the way somebody else has always said it has to be done. Yeah. Like uh, just thinking back to the uh, example with the 10-story building getting to the roof. Yeah, you could build stairs. You could build a ramp. You could build a ladder. You know? Yep. Have a weird system of ropes and pulleys <laughs> that's right could, could turn it into an elevator and end up with a, a billion dollar company <laughs> no, yeah absolutely um there's a lot of different ways and i'm sure there's other ways that we haven't even thought about yet another interesting idea to me but i'm not opposed to the science i understand the science you know to the extent that i do but adhd is not a deficit or a disorder i mean we we've got to stop looking at it that way i, I get that the medical community needs to look at it that way to prescribe stimulant medication and things like that. And, and, and that's, that's how their system functions. But we need to quit seeing it that way. If you're walking around thinking that you're deficited and disordered and have a lifelong pathology, if that's your take, you're in a victim mentality and you're not going to get anywhere, right? If you're in the same way, well, hey, I've got some problems here and I've got a lot of creative strengths that can overcome and deal with those problems, then you're thinking about the solutions. It, it's another mantra of mine and, and I teach it a lot. What we think about grows, and it follows that if you have problems and you think about those problems, what are you going to do? You're going to get more problems, right? It's counterintuitive, Mm -hmm. but if you think about the problems, you get more problems. It's just the fact of life. We've all heard people who show up to meetings over and over and over again and and commiserate like it's Groundhog Day because they're always thinking about their problems. We need to identify the problem. It's kind of a goal in a way. Identify it, but then we need to shift and start thinking about solutions. Because if you think about solutions, more solutions will appear and the problems will get chipped away at. So we got to get out of the idea of thinking about the problem, just identify the problem and then think about the solutions. And it's, it's a real, very real difference. We can't do both at the same time. Those Escher drawings where you see the fish going one way and the birds going the other, mm-hmm. you cannot see both at the same time. You cannot. You try it. Your brain will not do it. It'll flip back and forth. You can't do it. You cannot be in a victim mentality and be in control of your life at the same time. You can't say the world has 
given me this problem. There's nothing I can do about it and be doing something about it. It's, it's identity. We cannot escape our identity. We can yeah. change our identity, but we will not escape it. Yeah. And I think uh, going along with that is that a lot of time we think, uh, you know, the goal is to be neurotypical or something. But neurotypicals still have a ton of problems. Right. You know, just like a lot of people like, I blame my ADHD for everything. And I got I get ADHD comes can come with a lot of issues. Yep. But if your ADHD disappeared, your life would not be perfect. Like I would go, like, how do I work within the system that I am in? Yes. Rather than trying to be like, I'm gonna go into a different system and then there won't be problems. Yeah, absolutely. And totally agree. That that's one bit of myopia that people have is that, you know, oh, I've got all these problems. I wish I was like that. Well, the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence. Everybody is carrying some kind of burden they don't understand. Everybody, everybody on the planet. So, yeah. And I think the way I look at it, ADHD comes with a you know, whole host of positive aspects that if we can remediate the negative side, we can take advantage of. Um, and I think that's really important. It's hard because we are focused on the pain of things, right? You know, hey, I'm mm-hmm. being evicted again, right? That's that's the focal point, as opposed to all the things that were going right. And our biology is against us. We have fewer dopamine receptors, and we produce dopamine poorly. So those are the things that make us happy. And I don't know who does these horrific scientific experiments, but somebody disrupted some rats' dopamine receptors completely, mm-hmm. and they would starve to death even with food right next to them. Right. I don't know who does these studies, <laughs> but the fact yeah. is, it's really important. We don't register the positive things in our life as well. So we have to intellectually kind of plant that seed that, hey, I did something good. But ADHD comes with a lot of things. We're really good problem solvers. We're, we, we're often very creative and have strong imaginations. Uh, we have a lot of compassion that's developed because of our, our situation. We frequently have a good sense of humor and we're, we persevere like crazy, even though people think we don't. Again, we have a very keen memory and a sense of observation. There may be some flaws in that memory that, that trip us up. We have a poor filing system. You know, if you, if you walk into somebody's house and you smell cinnamon buns and it takes you back to your days with grandma, that those days with grandma were in your memory, but you couldn't pull them up until you had something that triggered that memory. We actually yeah. have very good memories. We just have poor filing systems. Um, we are good at multitasking, which we need to quit doing. Sometimes we can be laser focused. We have endless energy a lot of times. These are not true for everybody, but they are common threads in the community. Um, so uh, we need to stop thinking of ADHD as this huge, negative, horrible thing that's going on. We, the only reason we perceive it that way is because we come, when we come to diagnosis, we're usually in pain. Usually our life has fallen apart in some way or is falling apart. But um, we lose sight of the good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, that half hour flew by for me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, um, I, I just like looked at the clock. I'm like, oh, wow. Uh, so um, is there anything you'd like to uh, leave the listeners with? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because we were going to talk about money and I don't know that we did, but but that's okay because I think a lot we touched of, on on some of the, we the ideas the of it, but maybe that's just yeah. a metaphor for ADHD. I don't know. Um, I, I do actually, if you if we can do another five minutes, I want to do just a couple things, which I might. Yeah. Um, and they are, you know, you talk about hacking your ADHD. These are little hacks, right? They they're not going to solve the underlying problems, but they can, they can make things go better for you so that you have some bandwidth to solve the underlying problems. If someone in here 
is upside down money-wise and they're in debt up to their ears and they're barely hanging on. Um, there's a triage list for that, which I'd like to give really quickly. Um, first of all, make sure you're paying all your crucial services, right? Mm-hmm. Keep the lights on, right? Keep those on. Pay. Next step is all the debts that you have, pay the ones that appear on your credit report. It, regardless of what I've heard some other trainers say, your credit report is it is important. Even if you don't plan to borrow money, it is important. Um, so pay the ones that report on your credit report. So maybe you've got a loan to Bank of America, you need to pay them. Maybe there's mom and dad and you need to talk to mom and dad, say, hey, I can't do this right now, right? So mm-hmm. next set of things would be to pay the ones with the highest penalties for being late. And those are frequently taxes. State taxes first, IRS taxes second. And that's because of the way those two entities work and the way they the way they think. You know, state taxes can be horrible. The IRS wants to work with you. So state taxes first, IRS taxes second, property taxes. You don't want to lose your property taxes, your, your property. Mm-hmm. Revolving lines of credit would be next. That credit cards and installment loans would be the after the inst- making all the minimums, but when you're paying extra, pay extra on the revolving lines. And then if you're seriously upside down, there's lots of ways to negotiate with creditors, even big banks. They'll, they will negotiate with you because they're all, their option is to sell your debt to a collection agency and they lose 25% right off the top. So they'll negotiate with you if, if you know how to do it. Um, and then people talk about bankruptcy for the smallest of reasons. Bankruptcy should really be the last of a really long list of options. Um, okay. You know, I, I guess I would go with that. I'm trying to think if there's another set of... It's just little... Uh, almost like a pilot's checklist that you just go down and you say, okay, this first, that in order to prioritize digging out. And then you know, I'm going to do one more because it's, it's one of my pet peeves. I, I just yesterday, I heard a financial trainer talking about how, if you have problems with money, especially if you have something like ADHD or some of these other things that you should be using cash, just get rid of your credit cards, you know, cut them up. It's the worst advice you could give someone with ADHD is just, it's just stupid. <laughs> and <laughs> cash can be lost or stolen, right? It, Credit cards can enable you to shop in far more places, and therefore you can price shop. Cash requires you to go into the store where there's all kinds of marketing, right? Mm-hmm. So your risk of buying more stuff is even higher. Cash will literally, it's not hard. It's a myth. It's not harder to spend than on a credit card. It's not less painful cash or more painful. Cash will slip through your fingers. If I have a $100 bill in my pocket, and I see something for $95. The only thing I lose is that little bill that was in my pocket. I hardly even knew it was there, but now I have this shiny penny thing that I like. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but I've spent my hundred bucks. Um, so stop using cash. The number one reason not to use cash is because if you use cash, you won't know where it went. Nobody, whether they have ADHD or not, is going to save every receipt and track everything and put it on a spreadsheet and say, okay, here's what I spent. When you're trying to make a budget, which you will need to do, and you're going to say, well, I think I spent 50 bucks at Starbucks last month. I'll write that down. Well, if you had put everything on a credit card, debit card, you could go to the bank statement and you could say, no, I spent $247 at Starbucks. And then that might be okay with you, but at least you're writing an objective number in your budget. Yeah. Cash is, it's just a pet peeve of mine. It's the worst advice you could give somebody. And, and let me explain why the myth persists on the credit card. Spending money on a credit card is not more or less painful than spending cash, right? Mm -hmm. Problem comes in is when you think that that credit line is your money. So now you go out in the morning and you buy the $700 kayak on your credit card, 
right? That was easy to do. Just like if you had cash, easy to do, but you don't have any pain because if you had the cash, you have at least you have a knowledge that you spent $700. You don't have any pain. If you make the minimum payment on the credit card of 20 bucks, now you have $700 worth of pleasure, $20 worth of pain. You've unbalanced the equation. And of course you're going to do it again, right after your credit limit. But if you mm-hmm. spent 700 on the card and then you pay $700 off of the card <clears throat> because you're keeping your balance at zero, because you know that credit line is not your money. Now you have a balanced equation and it's exactly the same as spending cash. You have $700 worth of pleasure, $700 worth of pain. It's balanced. You make a decision whether or not that was a good idea or not. Right. But there's no difference yeah. between cash in that respect. The other respects for sure, cash can be lost or stolen. But, and, and by the way, the most likely person to steal money from you is not some guy on the street. It's somebody you know, somebody who has access. So cash is really risky. So uh, all I'm saying is it's a, it's a myth and it's a bad one. It's a, it's a myth that people fall to. Um, credit cards are incredibly useful. We have to learn how to use them. Just like, just like an automobile. Okay, yes, it's dangerous. 40,000 people a year, whatever it is, die in car crashes. But look at all the benefits we get from them. Yeah, it's. I'm trying to be like, I didn't use a credit card. How would I do 90% of the things I do? Like, right. I run an online business. I couldn't do that with cash. Right. So it's a very, at the very best, if you were a cash person, it would have to be a hybrid. There are things, you mm-hmm. can't rent a car with cash, right? You have to have a card, right? Because that, that's how it works. So at the very best, if you're a cash person, it's going to be a hybrid. But just get, I mean, maybe your high school kid gets an allowance in cash. I don't know, something like that. You know, just to, to cement this in someone's mind, 150 years ago, we all got to work by riding a horse, right? Whatever it was, mm-hmm. that's how we got to work. That was, the, that was the technology of the time, right? We don't do that now. Now we get in our car and we go to work or we get on the bus, whatever it is, we, we do something else. We still have horses. And we still have cash, but horses are for recreation now. You know, they're not for work. They're not work animals anymore. So cash, we still have it. And maybe it has a use once in a while. I don't know. I mean, I don't even use it for a parking meter anymore. So I don't know. But the, the fact is we need to get out of the old operating system into the new one. This is a modern world and we need to live in it if we want to be successful. Really laughing in my head there because I was thinking about there are probably online um financial people that give this advice at like uh things they charge for and to go to that you would have had to use a credit card to do it <laughs> and i just like you know actually <laughs> that's funny i'm thinking of one particular person i will remain nameless but that's exactly what he does right use cash use cash use cash and by the way sign up for me and it's not and and he's a good guy don't don't get me wrong the guy i'm thinking of I, I agree with 90% of his advice, but that that particular part and the study he quotes, I, I actually went and looked at the Carnegie Mellon study that he quotes, and it mm-hmm. doesn't say at all. You could twist the conclusion to reach that confirmation bias that you want, because that's the answer he's looking for. But that's not what the study says at all. Um, yeah. So yeah. I don't want to get too far down the soapbox thing there. Um, but <laughs> It does. It is a pet peeve of mine because I'm in that business also, and I see a lot of trainers basically making the money, making their money off of the misery of others without providing a solution. There's no doubt mm-hmm. people have come to us when they're in financial pain, but we provide a solution. And if we didn't, we I wouldn't be doing it. And the guy that I'm thinking, I, you know, you probably already know because he's a major guy, but um, 
He's a good guy. And that's not what he does. He doesn't make his money just off the misery of others. But this one particular point and a few others, he's just not correct about. Yeah. I mean, yes, sometimes we get stuck in our ideas. And it's that's why I love doing things like this, where I can be like, here's an idea I have, but how can I expand my thinking? Yep. 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 So I hope a few people will join us over at Renify. That's Renify with a with one end, by the way, that's what we do. We, you know, we teach people about the behavioral finance aspects of life, the emotional drivers of our, our, our behavior and how we manage money and all that. Yeah. Um, and with a specific, you know, slant towards the ADHD population. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much, Rick. People can go to uh, renify.com to find more out about Renify. Is there any other places they should try and follow you at? Well, we have a we have a YouTube channel. Absolutely, I'm glad you mentioned that. And once in a while, we have a live broadcast on on YouTube. Awesome. More often than that, we would have a, our live broadcast on Facebook. But YouTube, YouTube would be the free version of of us. Okay. Great. I think people will get a lot out of this. All right, William. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Rick Webster. If you'd like to find out more about Renify, be sure to go check out their website at renify.com. That's R-E-N-A-F-I.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you in the next one. That's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can leave me a message over at hackingyouradhd.com slash contact. You can also reach me on Twitter at HackingYourADHD, and I've also just launched a TikTok channel that you can find by searching for Hacking Your ADHD. If you'd like links or to read this episode's transcript, you can find those on the show notes page at HackingYourADHD.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the best way is to share episodes with someone you think would get something out of it. Just click the share button on your podcast player and send your bestie the link with something like, hey, I love this episode of Hacking Your ADHD. I'd bet you'd get a lot out of it too. Or you can support the show through my Patreon at hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon. Sign up for the 2, 5, 10, 25, or even $50 a month level and get some great perks like monthly bonus content or early access to upcoming episodes. That's hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon. And be sure to check out all the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. For interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, check out Eric Tiver's show, ADHD Rewired. For those of you with kids, be sure to check out Brendan Mahan's show, ADHD Essentials. And even if you don't have kids, his show is still a great resource for ADHD management. If you're interested in exploring issues of race and diversity in ADHD, be sure to check out ADHD Diversified with MJ. I also do a live Q&A with all the hosts of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network on the second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to sign up, just go to ADHDRewired.com slash events. And now for your moment of dad. If April showers bring May flowers, then what do May flowers bring? Pilgrims. Pilgrims.